Well, Merry Christmas. We are looking at Luke chapter 1. It's a very familiar passage. We talk about these Christmas stories um, so often that these, these pictures can become really, really familiar to you. And the danger, uh, not just at Christmas time, but the danger in our spiritual life and our relationship with God and our relationship and our understanding about who Jesus is, is that we can sort of keep this snapshot of the baby Jesus, right? I mean, everybody loves the baby Jesus. I picked up my mother at the airport a couple of days ago, and she was telling me about my baby sister's daughter, Chloe, who's three years old. And Chloe was playing with the nativity, right? Any kids have a nativity set at their house right now? Are you allowed to touch the nativity? Yes? No? Well, Chloe was... Uh, suspiciously eyeballing the baby Jesus. And so my mother uh, said, Chloe, what are you doing? Right? What are you doing with the baby Jesus? And Chloe was uh, started to carry the little baby Jesus in the manger away. And, and mom asked, what are you doing? And, and she said, I'm taking him to my bed because his bed is not very comfortable looking. And so she was trying to take care of the little baby Jesus. And in so many ways, we, we can see how our culture, and even us, we can sort of get enamored with the beauty of the coming of Christ. We can sort of get stuck in our uh, growth in the Christian life with who the baby Jesus is. You probably remember, if you've seen the movie Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby has this picture of little eight-pound baby Jesus that he wants to pray to. And more often than not, people carry around a snapshot of this Jesus, right? This is who He is. This is how far they have grown in their understanding and their relationship with Jesus. Is they're stunted at this place with who the baby Jesus is. And if we're not careful, Jesus can become like a mascot for the holiday season. We can sort of add Him to the mantle of Elf on the Shelf and... Frosty the snowman, and Rudolph the reindeer, and all these other sort of symbols, Jesus can very easily become something that He was never intended to be. He never claimed for Himself those things. And it's easy to keep Him there because baby Jesus is safe, right? He's, he's sort of helpless. Like my niece Chloe, He's He's something to be taken care of, to give a little better bed to, to to marvel at. But this is not at all the picture of who Jesus is in Scripture. This is a snapshot of who He was and what He was uh, born into. The song that the kids sang, wasn't that great, by the way? Uh, Really a powerful song, and Ariel did a fantastic job setting that up, um, you know, of how these shepherds would have known exactly uh, what this child wrapped in swaddling cloths, why Jesus would, uh, why the angels would come and tell shepherds to go and look after the baby Jesus to find him in swaddling clothes wrapped in a manger. They would have understood all these things. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Look, there goes the Lamb of God. All of those images would not have been lost on a faithful Jew because once a year they would sacrifice a pure, spotless lamb for the forgiveness of the sins of all the people. And so all of these signals, all of these cues 
showed who Jesus would become. And they never got trapped like we get trapped in our American culture. They didn't get trapped with Jesus as a mascot for the holidays. Uh, Russell Moore wrote an incredible article this week. I I, um, linked to it on our website. And he wrote that that Jesus is um, not at all the way we sort of picture him in our culture. He titled the article Apocalypse at Christmas Time. And he said right now his Bible reading is anything but festive. He's, he's been reading through the book of Revelation. And Revelation paints an entirely different picture than the Christmas story does. And so he asked himself, am I supposed to stop what I'm reading to sort of get swept up in our culture's celebration of baby Jesus? What am I supposed to do during this time? And so he said, am I supposed to stop reading about Jesus, the warrior king, returning to his creation to destroy all of his enemies with his sword? Shouldn't I take a break from the apocalypse to highlight the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay? Isn't there something kind of well unseasonable about that teaching? About a Christ who bears a sword and a cosmic entourage who prepares his people a messianic banquet and then prepares the birds a banquet of flesh and blood of his enemies, as Revelation 19 describes. Isn't it hard to imagine Tiny Tim exclaiming, God bless us, everyone, when we hear about the coming Lord Jesus? And then he writes, the infant Jesus is not as conspicuous in American culture as he once was. Clayton Burl Ives is a little more palatable to contemporary religious pluralism. But the baby Jesus still exists in the American subculture as a kind of non-threatening mascot for everything warm and sentimental about the holiday season. Now listen, I'm not trying to ruin your Christmas. (laughs) You might say, too late, man. I already had this picture of baby Jesus, and we've already read all these stories, and we're in the Advent, so, so I don't want to ruin your holiday. As some people say, don't let facts kind of get in the way of your, you know, of your... Uh, of your beliefs, but, but I want to balance out our cultural message of who Jesus is with what the Bible presents him as. And I think in some ways, when you see the way Ricky Bobby and little Chloe and other people respond to the baby Jesus, when you compare that to how people in Scripture respond to the baby Jesus, you'll see it's an entirely different thing. So I'm just going to walk you through a couple of snapshots just to help balance out and help us to reflect in a godly way on who Jesus is and how people responded to him when he was first born. So if you're in Luke chapter 1, you start in verse 5 and you see that in the days of Herod, that's the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And you remember the story about Zechariah. This would have been um, Mary's cousin, her husband, right? So they're 20 or so years older, and Zechariah is a priest. And you remember the story well, I'm sure, that he, he goes in to burn incense, and, and he has this vision. And God tells him, this angel tells him that his wife is going to have a child, and it's going to be the forerunner to Jesus the Messiah. And so through all this, Elizabeth um, she has, uh, she bears this child, John the Baptist. Uh, and so when we hear about John the Baptist, then the same angel goes and talks about Jesus, uh, goes to Mary. In, in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, six months later, after 
he visited with Gabriel, I mean, with, uh, with John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah. Gabriel goes from God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this saying, and she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now listen closely to the language that the angel speaks over this baby. He will be great. His name will be Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. Yeshua, the Lord saves. He will be great. He will be a savior. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne of the father, King David, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So this is royal language. This is royal language. And so when Mary hears about all of this, think about this young woman who is going to have such a royal child. And this royal child doesn't elicit the same emotions that we get when we see little Jesus in a manger and surrounded by sheep and cows and this little hut that is on so many of our mantles today. This king, this royal child, gets a, a, a tremendous response from all these people. Mary, down in verse 46, goes into this wonderful song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servants. And for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has shown strength with His arm. And He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring. Now as we get into His birth story, it caused this wonderful reaction in Mary. I don't know how many of you wrote a song, Mothers, at the birth of your child. It probably wasn't like this song if you did, right? This is a, this is a worship song to a king who has scattered the proud and who has destroyed the proud and is elevating the humble and has come to save and have mercy. This is not a typical mom song. This is not the reaction that you get when you sing lullabies over your newborn infant. This is a different song altogether. We see the reaction uh, with the shepherd and the angels. If you skip down to chapter 2, verse 8, In the same region there are shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What a baby, right? Listen to the titles being heaped, the songs being sung, the strangers that are gathering. You're going to see uh, also the wise men are coming and they're going to bring gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. You're going to see as they come, um, they're going to proclaim the birth of the king to Herod the king. And Herod's reaction is so strong in the opposite direction that he destroys all the baby boys two years and under living in that same area. The reaction to Jesus is incredibly powerful. It's nothing like our reaction to Jesus. Nothing at all. The Bible presents an entirely different Christmas story that our culture presents. And if you're not careful, you can get swept up in little eight-pound baby Jesus and forget about the reigning king on high, the one who caused Herod himself to execute all the children in a region because of the threat of a future growing king. I want to highlight two other reactions to Jesus' birth. If you look down at chapter 2 of Luke, verse 22, you see His devout parents, Mary and Joseph, they have to go and present the baby in the temple and offer a sacrifice for Him according to the law of Moses. So in verse 22, they bring Him up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. And as they do that, Um, verse 25 tells us that there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, he was waiting for God to deliver Israel. And it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Not only was the Holy Spirit upon him, but verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to this guy that he would not die before he had seen the salvation of Israel, the person who would bring salvation to Israel. And so in verse 27, it says, He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. I can imagine this picture. You're walking in, you're Mary, teenage Mary with this this baby who's already had all these strange events happening all around at his birth, and now this man snatches the child out of your hand in the temple. And in the sort of Simba kind of uh, way, you know, he holds this child up, and he sings this song. He says, Lord, now you can let me die in peace according to your words, because my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine that two-week period for Mary and Joseph? All the things that took place. This was about eight days after his birth. This is an incredible, incredible first few weeks of his life. Verse 33, uh, his parents marveled at what was said about him. And verse 34, Simeon blessed them, said to to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. That is, many people are going to fall away as a result of this child. And you know the end of the story. Many of the most religious people of the day, the most moral, 
the most outwardly righteous people, the people who knew their Bibles better than anybody else, those people at the end of the story are the ones shouting, crucify Him. They're the ones shouting, kill Jesus at the end of the story. And Simeon predicted it. He will cause the fall of many in Israel. And 33 short years later, many people are being destroyed because of Jesus. But He will also cause the rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Meaning this Jesus, is this little baby is going to have immeasurable influence. I mean, here we are today. You know, 2017 or so years later, and we're talking about the baby Jesus. We're celebrating this time with millions of people around the globe. Millions of people, maybe billions of people in the last 2,000 years have read this story and have meditated on these truths. And should anything... Uh, should things continue for the next thousand years, after, long after we're gone, people will still read this story. What incredible influence this baby has. And the danger for us is that if, you, if your understanding of Jesus is limited to this story, you are missing out. You are missing out. This this polarizing figure this polarizing figure has caused the rising and the falling of so many people over these thousand years and he will continue to do so even in this room there are people who would use his name as a curse word while sitting next to you is someone who would lift his name on high and who at the very mention of him they, they, their eyes get filled with tears because of who he is in the same room, there are people who just sort of are religious. They don't really care about um, this message. It's not life-giving to them. This is just kind of another box to check on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or even an annual basis. This polarizing person elicits an enormous range of responses from people. Even today, even in this room, And so if we're not careful, we can sort of see Jesus as this baby mascot for our holiday season and miss Him for who He really is. We can miss Him for the Jesus whom Mary, who His seven spirits were driven out of her, who would come and weep at His feet. We can miss Him as the Jesus who, when a woman was caught in the act of adultery, and was drugged out into the city square where the religious people gathered with stones. And Jesus became the protector and the giver of mercy and life for this woman. We can miss that Jesus if we're so focused on little baby Jesus. We can miss the Jesus who got on His hands and knees and washed the dirty feet of His disciples We can miss the Jesus who sweat and bled drops of blood as He's praying in the garden, who received the will of God to go to the cross the next day. We can miss the Jesus who in Acts 1.8 in triumph was raised off the ground into heaven as the disciples looked on. 
We can miss the Jesus in Acts chapter 7 that when Stephen was being stoned to death, he looked up and he said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father as His life was ended. And if we're not careful, we can miss the Jesus who in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one who was riding on this horse is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written so that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, isn't that different than the baby Jesus that we like to celebrate in our culture around Christmas? This picture of Christ is fulfilled. It's whole. It's complete. And if you're stuck at Christmas you'll only see a limited view of this sort of helpless mascot that just sort of helps people like a, maybe a rabbit's foot or something that helps them sort of have good luck and get a good parking spot and, and maybe find a good raise. Or You'll miss the whole thing if you just focus on Christmas Jesus. So my challenge to you as we enter into the season, as we move past the season, is to take 2018 and saturate yourself with the gospel picture of who Jesus is. The picture of Revelation, the picture of the New Testament, the entire picture of who He is. And you'll be surprised if you've never taken that study to find out that He's more than a baby in a manger. Father, we thank You for our time together today. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for the way in which You present Yourself in Scripture. How it's altogether different than the Jesus that many of us know as our culture describes Him. If we're not careful, we can sort of lump Him in with Elf on the Shelf and Frosty the Snowman and all these other kind of cultural icons that make make the holidays cheerful for many people. But it's our hope that we will see Him for who He is and that we'll understand the reason why He came. And the reason why He came, the reason why He was so polarizing is that He came to save us from our sins. That He came to die on a cross for us so that we may have mercy and grace. So that we may find in Him deep and true love and life everlasting and abundant life while we're here on earth. Would you help us to know the true you? Would you reveal yourself to us? And make this a time, make this a year, make this a a springboard into a discovery, a rediscovery of who you are and how you love us. Lord Jesus, we worship you for that. We thank you for how you love us. We thank you for your majesty and for your grace. And we look forward to your coming. We thank you that you came the first time in humility. We look forward to the time that you'll come again in triumph and in victory. 
Would you help us to know you in intimacy? Help us to know you well. In Jesus' name, amen.